This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight on the Red Apple Audio Network, and that network is ever-expanding. A couple of months ago, we were lucky enough to add the Superstation AM 910 in Detroit, AM 910 WFDF to our growing network of affiliates. And the first thing I did, and I don't want to let you too much on the uh, behind the scenes of what goes on here, but I'll let you behind the curtain on just this one thing. The first thing I do whenever we get a new affiliate is I make a list of the most interesting local media figures, political figures, and local characters that I think that local audience would want to hear. I am very happy to tell you that the person that I put as number one on my list of folks that I thought the Detroit audience would want to hear, and incidentally the rest of the country as well, has now agreed to appear on this show. He is among the most experienced people when it comes to national security. Security, law enforcement, and the inner workings of government and how the sausage is made. Also, no stranger to the world of media either. He's been an FBI agent. He's an Army veteran. Uh, we only have a four-hour show, so we're not going to list his whole resume. But uh, you probably remember him best when he broke the record for most Sunday show appearances by anyone in a single year uh, when he was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Well, now... He's running as a Republican for U.S. Senate in the state of Michigan. I'm very pleased to welcome to the other side of midnight Mike Rogers, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and Republican candidate for U.S. Senate. Congressman, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Frank, it is so good to be here. I just wonder... Am I the character at the end of that or an interesting guy to talk to in your list? I, I, don't, I don't even know if I want you to answer that, really. People can draw their own conclusions at the conclusion of our, uh, of our discussion. Uh, so yep. you are running, as I alluded to, for U.S. Senate in uh, Michigan. Michigan is certainly a purple state. It's elected Democrats. It's elected Republicans. Last few years, it does seem to be trending more uh, blue than red. Tell me about your decision to run for the uh, the U.S. Senate here. Since you've been out of uh, government the last uh, eight years or so, I'm sure, without even asking you, that you've made more money. I'm sure that you've had more time to spend with your family and maybe reading books, catching up on whatever you were neglecting when you were in Washington. Why do you want to go back into the circus that is Washington, D.C.? And do you think that the Republicans have a good chance at winning this Senate seat in Michigan? 
You know, it's uh, and you are so right. Thanks, Frank. Um, you know, my wife and I had a pretty good life. You know, we were, you know, uh, uh, candidly wasn't planning on coming back. And I'm one of those guys. I spent 14 years in Congress. I, I was proud of the, my service there, proud of my work as a chairman of the Intelligence Committee. And I, I just don't think you're supposed to be in the same job for 30 years in that place, because I think it changes your thinking. Uh, and I thought I had done my bit. I, had, I was leaving out on top. I handed off the baton, and uh, my wife and I went into the. You know, I went out in the private sector. Uh, my wife was already in the private sector, uh, and we had a great life, and it was wonderful. My my son was uh, going to the Naval Academy at the time. We got to spend a lot more time in and around the activities of that, and and help get to know you know twelve of his classmates, two women, ten uh, men who are now serving uh, our country in a whole variety of ro uh, uh, roles, marine and ship drivers, and uh, the woman was a the women a pilot and a ship driver. I mean, really just gives you faith in America. And about a year ago, my wife and I were having coffee, and we looked up and said, "My God, everything feels broken. The sea is broken." Our border is broken. They, you know, the government has decided they're just going to borrow and spend and grow government at a rate that will make us bankrupt in the very near future. And it, things just didn't seem right. And so sometimes when you have a capability, I think you have a responsibility. And we looked at the Senate. We talked to a lot of people. People called us and said, hey, please do this. Uh, and candidly, the first few times we said no, I you know, like did my bit. Uh, but the more we thought about it and the more we thought about, you know what? We don't have a lot of time to get this right. We don't have a lot of time uh, to modernize and, and make government smaller and more effective and work for you, not against you. We don't have a lot of time uh, to fix the border. I mean, I think we're going to talk about that. But, I mean, the problems and the security and the national security ramifications of what's happening with an open border scary as, as hell. Uh, the fact that we 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 are no longer energy independent, and now we're going to mandate the that the government wants to mandate the kind of car you drive, what kind of stove you cook on, and your water heater. Uh, in a place like Michigan, that's pretty pretty dependent on on natural gas. That's a <laughs> this is a real problem for us. And so I started looking at all of that and thinking, you know, is the military in the right shape for what I think is the most uh, highest threat matrix that I've ever seen toward the United States. Uh, and I have to look at it and say, man, I don't think the military is worthy of the people we're sending to serve in it and are signing up and volunteering for it. we got to fix that. we got to fix it yesterday. So the good news about a guy like me is I walk in on day one and I start to work. I know who to call. I know how to get the Department of Justice refocused on fighting crime. Uh, I know how uh, to, to go after this problem of the border quickly. Uh, and, and the good news is these are all things we can solve, but we got to get people there doing the right work in the right way. And you ask, hey, can you win? It's a purple state. You know, the House and the Senate, the state House and the state Senate in Michigan, the difference between the majority and the minority is 4,000 votes wow. in the last election. Wow. Yeah, it's, it is not this deep blue uh, problem that everyone sees it as here. Uh, and it, they, they did a head-to-head -head with my likely Democrat opponent and me. Uh, and this is a person that spent $30 million in the last few years uh, trying to get elected in the state uh, and did. And is a member of Congress, and she's at 39 and I'm at 37. You know what that tells me? We're going to win this wow. because people are tired of what's going on. And, and Bidenomics telling them, hey, you're, you're just fine when you're 
when your grocery bill is uh, going up and your gas bill is going up and your household goods are going up and your paycheck isn't, guess what? People are starting to say, okay, I get it. This ain't working. One of the things that you did after leaving Congress was uh, a, ter- a nationally syndicated uh, radio segment on 150 stations around the country, including our flagship WABC in New York. Curious how you found that. I- I've noticed some people that have uh, spent some time in government or in elective office and then make the transition to radio have a tough time. Others seem to do it pretty easily. As a listener, I enjoyed the segment very much. Just curious how you found doing it. I loved it. I would do that again tomorrow. I mean, it was great. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. We had a lot of folks calling up. Uh, we actually got up to uh, about 250 stations wow. by the time we were done. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, and we were doing three unique segments a day. Uh, and it, you know, I tried to have humor in it. Uh, which, you know, sometimes I was successful, as my wife would say. You know, sometimes you were successful with that. Uh, and just try to be topical and, and up-to-date and kind of give a, a a different assessment on the news of the day. And I'm have to tell you, Frank, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, feel free to put in a, a word of recommendation for our show with any of those 250 stations that we're carrying you. Um, <laughs> I'd love it. You mentioned the border crisis in New York, in um, Chicago, uh, really in almost any city in California. One of the things that uh, all these city mayors are having to deal with is the migrant situation. And we're told by Democrats and Republicans at the local level that are struggling to find a way to pay for this influx of migrants into their communities is that this is a national problem. That's the one thing at a local level that everybody seems to uh, agree upon. You're running for a pretty important national office, the U.S. Senate. Let's say you get there. What are you going to do to solve this migrant crisis that's overwhelming a lot of American cities? Uh, and this is a huge problem. Well, they're going to spend in this year alone four hundred and fifty billion dollars housing and feeding uh, the illegal mi- uh, migrants that are, are coming across the border and, and ending up in cities like uh, New York. Uh, and think of that for the state of Michigan. You know what that means? That that is every single teacher, every single state trooper salary for the next 18 years. That's the impact this is having on on America. Uh, And if you think about the problem in New York City, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the the bigger budget than the than the police department, you know, the health and human services department uh, combined. And so the cost of this is really starting to take a toll. And by the way, uh, the the education cost is an additional almost 60 billion dollars. Uh, and remember, it's pretty difficult because most of these kids uh, are not English speakers. It's causing massive problems in our communities, and we can solve it. So the first thing I'd do, Frank, is we got to get that Remain in Mexico plan put back in place. You have to. Right now, you're basically opening up the door, turning on the light, say, you know, everybody come on in. Uh, and they're doing it, and they're taking advantage of it. And by the way, our adversaries are taking advantage of it as well, from China and Russia and, and uh, Venezuela, uh, Iran, uh, places like Afghanistan, uh, which is why you're seeing this rise in people. They are catching the rise of people on the terrorist watch list. And they're overwhelmed. The, the, the Customs and Border Protection is just overwhelmed. I talked to the retired deputy chief there, and he just said the morale is so bad. So do remain in Mexico first and foremost right now. 
If you don't have an application in to do this the right way, the legal way, that you immediately should get turned around and spun around. I wouldn't. There should be no questions asked. You don't get to get uh, a plane ticket and a credit card and and a hotel ready uh, when you cross that border. It's 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 not appropriate. And again, when you do that, you're encouraging everybody else that sees that all around the world to use the southern border to come in. Uh, and that's number two. The other thing that I would do, uh, which I think is a little unique, I would uh, create a little volunteer corps uh, of retired military or retired police. I can't find hmm. anything in the law that says you have to be a lawyer to do these adjudications. Hmm. Right? They're not U.S. citizens. Uh, start a volunteer corps, send them down there, and get them, say, here's what the law says. Here's what uh, this illegal immigrant is telling you. Uh, adjudicate it. I would turn that eight-year waiting list into about uh, 24 hours. Wow. And what all this combined would do, by the way, is tell people, don't do it. It's not worth it. Stop it. Um, and you, you have to stop the reward system. You're rewarding these people. That they're telling me that, well, the people who don't want to get caught are running and doing that. The people who are just trying to get in and get that free free meal ticket are coming across the border and just kneeling down. They're waiting to get caught. They know because they're going to say, you know, I claim asylum. They'll be in the country for eight years before they get any adjudication. This is ridiculous. And we're doing this to ourselves. And it's, it's getting dangerous. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, we see it uh, every day in places like New York. It's uh, it's horrendous, and it's uh, a nonpartisan issue in terms of the angst that people have about it. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services services, and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Hey, we're talking with uh, Mike Rogers. He's running for U.S. Senate in Michigan. He's the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. And uh, Congressman, obviously, as I alluded to with your law enforcement career, you had a a pretty significant career outside of politics before uh, running for the state legislature and running for Congress. But there has been quite a change in the Republican Party. It did certainly start while you were still in office, but it has certainly become more pronounced since you've left office. And and that change is we are sort of seeing a movement in the rank and file ideology of a lot of Republicans, especially activist Republicans, moving, for lack of a better description, from a George Bush, Mitt Romney, Dick Cheney direction, more towards a Trumpian direction. This sometimes is reflected in policy where, you know, the uh, kind of the Bush style was much more interventionist when it came to foreign policy. The Trump style, a bit more non-interventionist. To some extent, we're seeing this play out on the national stage with uh, the supporters of Nikki Haley, who certainly view the way to address the world's problems as much different than the supporters of uh, folks like Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm curious, as somebody that was part of the Republican leadership at the time that the dominant ideology was something different than what it is now, 
Are you still a good fit for the Republican Party today? I don't know. I imagine you're probably going to have a primary. I know there are other Republicans that have indicated they want to run for this seat. Are you still someone that can get elected in the 2024 Republican primary? Frank, I can't even believe you asked the question. Absolutely. This is an issues-based campaign. And so I'm the only candidate that took after China, communist China, in the early 2000s with a countervailing duty bill. Right. I have called this problem out and have been ringing this bell for 20 years. So some notion that there is this too globby uh, Republican thing is just simply wrong. Uh, nobody has a better border stop the problem at the border. And by the way, I voted for the wall, the first wall that was uh, was put down on the border. So some notion that there's this group in, on the right and group on the left in the Republican Party just isn't right. They're concerned about the issues. And by the way, because of the Department of Justice and the way it has, as I tell people, veered away from the criminal kind of work uh, that I was doing when I was in the FBI, uh, it needs some reform. They have definitely started this philosophy that they thought they could put their thumb on the scales of justice. That's got to end. Nobody can walk into the United States Senate other than me, Mike Rogers, because I'd been an FBI agent and I was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee that held all of these agencies accountable, uh, which was why people like my leadership style. I was t- fair, but I was tough. They called it the wire brush treatment. And so I I know on the first day I walk in, I know how to start dealing with all of these issues and building these coalitions. And by the way, I'm the only candidate that actually has cut money from the federal budget. When I was chairman, I had a budget of $78 billion at the height of the Afghan and uh, Iraq conflicts. And I went in and said, you know what, there's a lot of fat in here. We're going to cut it out. I cut $7.5 billion, almost 10% of that budget. And I didn't run around and, and, uh, you know, scream at the top of my lungs. Aren't I great that I did it? Uh, but I did it because it was important, important for the country. So when people tell me, Oh, it can't be done. Uh, and there are Republicans that say, Oh, it can't be done. I don't believe that. I, I've absolutely done it. When I, you gave me the gavel, I did it. Uh, so in the Senate, you have few more tools. I'm going to use those tools, uh, when I get back there. So some notion that I don't fit, uh, primary voters is just not right. I've talked to, I've been all over this state. I've talked to every stripe of Republican. Uh, and we're rallying around this notion that this is a destiny election. And this is a we the people election. We are either going to get this right, or we're going to continue down the path of Bidenomics and big and bloated government and more intervention in your lives. We're going to seed one seventh of our economy to communist China in the automobile industry because the administration is going to mandate the kind of car you have to buy. And by the way, when they do that, the costs of that car are going through the roof. And if you want a gasoline car uh, that may or may not be left in the market, can you imagine what you're going to pay for that? I mean, this is ridiculous. And by the way, 85% of those electric vehicles that they're mandating are processed in China. China is modernizing its nuclear fleet, has a more modern nuclear arsenal than the United States of America. It has a bigger Navy, a bigger Army, and it's rattling its saber. Uh, And we're busy doing things that don't make us the finest uh, fighting force in the world uh, by diminishing the mission of what these uh, troops do. And trust me, I know I'm I'm an Army veteran. My son's in the Navy. We have four generation of Rogers who served. Wow. We know how to get this right. And so I, I don't buy this argument. I hear it out there. I hear people trying to throw rocks and say, oh, my God, there's a, there's an old Republican, new Republican, medium Republican. 
I don't believe that. We better be Republicans. If we don't stand together, you're going to get more of what we don't like. I mean, they're back there talking about banning gas stoves in oh. the Biden administration, and China is trying to build modular nuclear reactors. And you know, we got a problem, uh, folks. We're seeing it in New York on the gas stove front. My wife, it's driving my wife crazy. The prospect of not being able to cook with gas. Believe me, uh, I'm looking at all the subjects that I wanted to bring up with you, and I'm realizing that we probably need a full hour. So I hope you'll come back. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't want the uh, I don't want our time together to end without uh, discussing the the Middle East. Obviously, this is very much on the minds of of people, not just in Michigan, but all over the country and all over the world. Quite honestly, let me begin with uh, what happened on October seventh. I want to take advantage of your intelligence expertise. You know, uh, we were always of the belief that Israel had some of the best intelligence gathering operations in the world with the Mossad and with the Shin Bet, and a lot of folks didn't think a, something like what occurred on October 7th could ever happen with an intelligence apparatus as sophisticated as Israel's. As a guy that knows the intelligence community and the levers of intelligence better than anybody, how does an intelligence failure like this occur? And how do you make sure that something like this not only doesn't happen in Israel again, but doesn't happen in the United States? Yeah, and well, we had some intelligence failures leading up to 9-11. You know, we had certain bits of information. We just couldn't coalesce it in a place where people saw the whole picture and made a decision that, oop, we got, you know, Houston, we have a problem. Same kind of thing happened. And by the way, I, I got to know both the Shin Bet and the Mossad when I was chairman. These are two of the most capable intelligence services in the world. And this is really a valuable lesson for, for us in the United States, your listeners, all of us. Uh, Iran has been running a disinformation campaign. So right after the 21 uh, Hamas attack, remember where they kidnapped some some uh, yep. uh, Israeli soldiers? Mm-hmm. It didn't go well for Hamas. That thing got wrapped up pretty quick. Israel met, did not mess around. Uh, they took uh, you know took care of business. And so what happened is right after that, and I'm, I'll try to be quick here, but um, the Hamas folks, through with uh, leadership support. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, technical assistance started a massive disinformation campaign uh, that we are we've learned our lesson and by they and they didn't do it directly they were doing it indirectly so they were using phones that they knew that had a high likelihood that would be intercepted they were changing some of the imams speeches where they would give fiery uh, remarks they toned it down said there's a better way uh, they negotiated for about twenty thousand people and maybe closer to 17,000 Gazans who could come across the border into Israel, work, and take that money back home with them. That was, and everybody thought, hey, this is a new day. We're starting to get along. Little did they know that some of those people who were crossing the border were, were intelligence folks saying, here's where this radar system is. Here's where this weakness is. Here's where that weakness is. And, oh, by the way, they were doing all of this. Hey, we're, we're, we're not going we're, we're to do this anymore. We're taking a different tact. Uh, they went on to that. And by the way, they had a social media campaign as well, which I think is why you see these uh, indesplicable to me uh, uh, protests uh, saying, you know, Hamas is right, you know, kill all the Jews from the from the river to the sea. I mean, it really is mind blowing. And if you look at it, they've been fed a diet through algorithms of of that uh, Israel is the oppressors in this thing. And we're talking about a terrorist group that I mean, we don't, we don't even have to re- rehash. Sure. We have all heard what horrific things they did. And by the way, burning children in the tunnels that they kidnapped after killing their parents so that they could identify them in the tunnels. Burning children 
you know, giving them burn marks like brand marks. Amazing. This came out today. I mean, this this is who they are. They're animals. Uh, and so uh, what happened is everybody, and so even there was about a week before the, the October 7th debate, one, senior IDF officials were briefing their security folks, hey, I think we've got them contained. We have them controlled. And they were pulling people off of the Gaza border and putting them on other places the week before. Um, and so you look at that, and I know there's gonna, they're going to find that they had other bits of information that didn't collate it just like we did. And we have some of the best intelligence services in the world as well. And so you're going to find that combination of all of it. But by the way, that, uh, that disinformation campaign sponsored by Tehran is still happening. It's still happening in the United States. They are working this thing like crazy. And we have to be careful that we don't get sucked into this thing and finding ourselves confused about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And that's exactly why it happened. And just real quickly, if I can, Frank, and I'm for engagement in the world, not entanglement. There's a big difference. And people say, oh, there's interventionalists and there's non-interventionalists. I think there's a, a, a much better path in this. And I'll give you a great example. If we aren't energy independent, then we are entangled in the Middle East. If we are energy independent in the United States, we engage in the Middle East. That means we can do what we want when we want. You had to have the president of the United States, Joe Biden, because he refuses to use our natural resources here, go to Saudi Arabia and beg for oil. Remember that? He also, and this is one of the contributing factors of October 7th, took off, uh, did not enforce the sanctions so that uh, Iran could sell billions of dollars worth of oil that Donald Trump put on in 2018. He took it off. And so now they're awash in cash. And now you notice, you know, we've been attacked our, uh, through Iranian proxies across the Middle East some hundred times where they attacked U.S. soldiers, right, because they have cash. All of these decisions that are happening uh, have consequences. And what they are doing is making the United States entangled. So they'll come back and say we're a kinder, gentler, uh, you know, foreign policy. Malarkey, you are pushing us into conflict in a way that scares me to death. And so all of this, as I said, has consequences. The reason we're taking Venezuelan oil, you know, they, they went back and this right. is the Biden administration, is because we aren't, aren't energy independent. And what did they do when the, they came in and said, well, Trump went after the Houthis, which is a proxy group of Iran. They said, we're taking them off the terror list. The Houthis have been firing rockets at the Israelis now. They are terrorists. Uh, They're know, on the terrorist list for a reason. This, All of this has consequences. I, I, again, I, I have to run, and I wish we had more time, and I hope we can do this again. But let me ask you, given everything that you just said, is a pause in exchange for more hostages being released, is a pause in fighting the right move at this point? Well, you just have to remember, and Israel's making this decision as well, the reason we had two more terrorist attacks by uh, Hamas in Israel today uh, was because they had ta- they didn't have the pressure uh, that uh, IDF was putting on them over the last 10 days. So anybody that doesn't think that's true uh, doesn't know much about how they operate. The reason they're dribbling out these hostages in the way that they are is to buy time. And with that time, they planned this operation that killed more Israelis today. And so what you have to do is make a decision. So people who just blindly say, I want a ceasefire because I don't want, I don't want violence either. I wish nobody had to go into this thing. I would never use violence if we could avoid it. Uh, but you have to dismantle Hamas where they are. And when you don't, this is what happens. So I argue, yep, you probably have to negotiate through some of this to get 
a temporary relief of fighting so you can get aid in and hostages out. But we can't be at the beck and call of Hamas terrorists, which is the way they want us today. Every day that they get to rest and recoup uh, and rearm is a day that they're going to lose more Israeli soldiers. So, you know, the other team, they don't care about that. I do. I think this is this is really dangerous. But people need to understand this. You know, free. There's no free lunch in this in this conflict. Uh, You're either for terrorists or you're not. Number one. And number two. Uh, you either uh, you, you you have to understand that the ceasefire isn't free; that nothing bad happens. Oh, something bad happens, and we saw that this morning in Israel. Um, on a much lighter note, uh, if you had to pick Detroit-style pizza, New York-style pizza, what are you picking? Well, I'm going with uh, Detroit-style. Buddy's was the big and most uh, important place here. Uh, you know, I, I do like pizza. I like a good Chicago slice. Chicago, as much as I oh, do. the third-party yeah, candidate of pizza. <laughs> I do love it. I was an FBI agent in Chicago working organized crime. I know the best piece of places in the city. Uh, all right. Well, I have a lot of questions about for you about FISA, about aliens, about why so many of your former colleagues are retiring. Uh, let's say, what do you say we do this again in a couple of weeks? I'd love to do it, Frank. I'd be happy to get by it. Thank you. Mike Rogers, uh, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, now running for the U.S. Senate in the state of Michigan. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation? You're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. And then we'll also do 15 seconds of fame, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.